You're listening to episode 46. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Today is no different. Uh, Davis Mattel here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Jeremy Young. Jeremy, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? I am ready. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy is the founder and CEO of Tanga.com, a leader in daily deals, one of the fastest growing privately held companies and the largest bootstrap company in its market with no outside investors. Um, some amazing statistics, over 5 million orders shipped, more than 2 million customers served, and managed to save savvy buyers over $500 million off of the list prices. So great story ahead and I am overjoyed and can't wait to dig more into your story, Jeremy. So welcome to the show. Uh, but before we dig in, maybe take 30 seconds and tell us who is Jeremy outside of business? So what I really love to do is travel. And that is something my wife and, and fam- my family and I have done all over the world. Um, some of our favorite places are northern Italy, the Tuscany area. We love every single part of France. Um, I, I speak French, and so that helps in that. And then we just uh, got back from Portugal, where we um, did a little bit of touring around Lisbon and some of the wine regions around Lisbon, and that was an incredible country. Um, I also love to cook, and I love to uh, play music. So I play piano, and I play cello, and uh, we put put on concerts um, in our home several times a year where we get musical talent together and, and uh, kind of put on small concerts for, for friends and family. Mm, fantastic. How did um, you learn French? I actually lived in Montreal for a couple of years and so picked it up there. Yeah, I was listening to, to another interview you were doing uh, before and um, you've got um, some cool um, holiday home program that you guys that you guys are part of um are you still working uh, using that yeah in fact we just had it on friday night so um about 100 plus people come in we set up uh, chairs in our great room with our grand piano and and uh, we had a two-hour musical story presentation actually facebook lived it so if you find me on facebook i made the video public so any of your viewers can go in and listen to some great music yeah amazing amazing now, let's talk a little bit about business. How long would you say you've been in business full-time for yourself? Uh, 23 plus years. I mean, it all started out when I was uh, in junior high. My dad would stop and get gummy worms and Tootsie Rolls at the Costco, which is a big wholesale market. 
and uh, bring them home. And I would put them in little baggies, separate them, and then store them in these big coat pockets that I had. And I made a couple thousand dollars a year in junior high selling candy to kids undercover. And that's really kind of got me interested in controlling my own destiny and having my own business and making my own money. And I, I would buy computer equipment with it. And so that's kind of what got me started. But really, my first real business was when I was in college uh, 23, 24 years ago. And I've uh, never worked for anybody since. Wow. And what, what do you think made you choose that path um, rather than maybe the employment path? I just would have nightmares about having to work for a big corporation. And I just knew that I wanted to be able to control my own destiny. It's something that kind of runs in my family. A lot of my brothers and sisters are entrepreneurs and uh, kind of got the bug from my older brother, Jeff. He owned some sporting goods stores and, and was a pretty serious entrepreneur in his life. <clears throat> and so I uh, just knew that I wanted to be able to control my own hours do things the way I wanted to do it and uh, work with the people who I wanted to work with. And I've done that my whole life. Um, now, let's talk today before I go back into your story. Um, what are your core revenue streams in your current business now? So in Tenga, our uh, revenue comes from a couple of different uh, places. So we uh, obviously just are a physical daily deal marketplace. So the majority of our revenue is coming directly from people purchasing uh, products on Tanga. We also have Bell Chic and LOL Shirts, which are two smaller websites but are focused on either handmade products in the bellchic.com or funny t-shirts and LOL shirts. Um, we also have some other revenue streams through other parts of our uh, business. And so we have what's called our rate reselling program. We get some very amazing shipping rates from all of the major U.S. carriers. And we're able to pass those rates on and savings on to a lot of our vendor partners, allowing them to save on shipping, which in turn gives us better prices in our marketplace. And that's a big growing part of our business as well. Maybe just walk us through some of the highlights of the different um kind of corporations or businesses that you've held that led you to Tanga. Um, and then just give us a couple of those highlights and, and let's walk back into where we are now. Uh, started in probably 1993, 94 timeframe and was really interested in the internet in general and seeing the possibilities that could exist in making money on the internet. Um, this was before any major web browsers were out. I think Netscape, it came out in 94, possibly late 93. And so we were building shopping carts for e-commerce back before Netscape and Internet Explorer even existed. And so that, uh, that particular company that I started um, with uh, my boss at the time, Tim Stay, was called Direct Connect. And we built uh, e-commerce websites for like Rush Limbaugh, he's a political commentary radio show host guy here in, in the States, and sold his books and ties. Um, we did U.S. Robotics website. They were the largest modem manufacturer in the United States at the time. We did Proform Fitness, treadmills. And so we were taking basically um, companies that we were offering telemarketing services for and building internet, e-commerce, uh, shopping carts, and sites for them. And Tim eventually sold that company for 20 something million to about.com. 
Um, and <clears throat> during that time, I uh, was talking to some friends of mine who had a web hosting company, and we actually paid them for web hosting services uh, for our Direct Connect clients. And I talked them into um, allowing me to resell their services under a white-labeled program that, uh, for all intents and purposes, it would look like it was it was our company to anyone using our products, but we were actually a, a far reseller from uh, uh, this company called iServer in Utah. And <clears throat> I teamed up with a friend of mine who had a website called windows95.com. He registered it before uh, Microsoft did. And <clears throat> he was getting a lot of traffic and a lot of people visiting his website. So I teamed up with him. He would provide the marketing and traffic to the web hosting site through his his other business. And then I would uh, basically run and manage the operations and tech side of things. And we grew that what, that business very, very quickly to 100 plus, 150 employees and uh, sold it to Micron Electronics in uh, December of 1999, right before the crash. And uh, it, it's now called web.com. So the business still exists. It's a publicly traded company and it's doing very, very well at this point. And so that was kind of my, my big first hit that I had. Um, it was very exciting. It grew super quickly and it was like a three to four year turnaround. Um, so the other, the other business that, that I had some experience with was um, Superstats, which became Omniture. And uh, <clears throat> this was an idea that I had that I contacted my friends, uh, Josh James and John Pistana down in Utah and we, we created a software as a service uh, analytics company for small to medium businesses to track their stats, which was kind of unique at the time. Um, I mean, obviously now you have Google Analytics and Omniture and other companies doing it, but at the time it was it was fairly unique, especially for the small to medium businesses. And it, that became um, over several iterations Omniture, which went public and then sold to Adobe, who controls it now. It's probably the largest. Uh, company of its kind in the world. <clears throat> uh, and then I got into some um, offline businesses. My brother and I own three clothing stores. Um, we uh, And then I started two board game businesses. And one was called Simply Fun. Simply Fun is a multi-level marketing board game and kind of family entertainment company. It still is running out of Bellevue, Washington. And uh, that was a venture-funded company. We probably raised $6 million or so. Um, and then the other company was called Uberplay, <laughs> that took the best games out of Europe, kind of like Settlers of Catan, which is a huge kind of cult uh, German game. And, uh, and and we worked with these amazing game designers to create uh, American versions of their best-selling products that, that they sold millions of over in Europe. And we just could not get any traction and distribution in the United States. And so after three or four years of doing 50 different SKUs, I had hundreds of thousands of pieces of board games sitting in a warehouse in Ohio, and I started my current business, Tanga, 10 years ago to liquidate the board game products that I had sitting in a warehouse and, and couldn't sell. And so that's how Tanga was born as a daily deal for kind of board games and family entertainment products. Wow. Well, congratulations on, on your success. I mean, you've, you've done well in all those different businesses. I'm sure there's been highs and lows. But very interesting that um, from a from a low moment, um, you know, a couple of years of that board game business, and then you made a decision to to start out um, to clear it out. So, how did that decision come about? 
Um, <clears throat> I just figured that I couldn't scale that particular business, the board game business, the way that it needed to scale to make any decent money. It was very creative, super fun, worked with amazing people. Um, but you go into Target or Walmart and you say, hey, I've got this game. It just won German Game of the Year. Sold 2 million copies in, in the last year. How many would you like? And they would say, well, you know, I want you to print 500,000 copies. We're going to ship them to every single store. If it doesn't sell through 10% in a week, you're going to take it back. And I want a million dollars of uh, advertising co-op spend in order to promote it. And so it was just too much risk. And, um, you know, we just, we could not compete with the Mattel and Hasbros who basically have a monopoly, uh, no pun intended, on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the, the, the shelf space in these stores. And so it, uh, it ended up working out very well for us though. We were able to build a, an incredible e-commerce uh, company, a deal place for market seekers. Now Tanga.com uh, based off the, the struggles that we had in our board game company. Great. And just walk me through how did those early days look like? Um, were you the one building or did you have a, a team and how were you funding it at the beginning? Uh, it's all funded by me. And, um, I was doing everything. So we, we had a small warehouse. I had my friend Joe Van Dyke, who still works with me today, but he's worked with me on several other businesses as well. And he <clears throat> was building out the tech side of things. Uh, I had a, a advertising partner, uh, named, <laughs> excuse me, Board Game Geek. And they were able to provide us the initial traffic to our website to get it off the ground. And so I, you know, I had the marketing kind of set. I, I had the technical side set and I was doing everything else. I was sourcing product and buying product and helping ship product and doing the accounting and <clears throat> customer service and marketing. And so in the early days, it was just a, a couple of people, uh, making it all work. And, um, and then as we grew, we, we continued to expand with as cash flow would allow it. Now, <clears throat> so you started it off. Just to clear out the warehouse um, stock that you had, at what point did things turn around, do you think? So <laughs> we got rid of that initial stock pretty quickly, probably within the first 6 to 12 months. Um, and then it really was just finding other products to sell on the website. And so we you know, we had a really great audience of people that um, that wanted good products at great prices um, that match their needs. And so I had a lot of people in the industry, the game, board game and card game and, and puzzle industry that had the same issues that I did with distribution. And so they would call me and say, Hey, I've got 500 pieces left of this game. I'll give it to you for pennies on the dollar. So I'd ship it in. We'd, we'd offer it up to our, to our customers. A lot of times we'd blow the inventory out in 24 hours and, and both parties, it was kind of a win-win for both parties. Um, eventually I realized that, if I had a bad product up at, or or the wrong price point or something that didn't resonate, it was 24 hours of completely um, empty, non-existent sales. And so I learned pretty quickly that I either needed to become better at sourcing product or I needed to uh, expand the offering so that people could buy other things rather than just one deal a day. And so we started to experiment with different uh, uh, channels. We did electronics, we did magazines, we did jewelry, and and eventually started to grow it into more of a multiple type channel daily deal company. Um, and then we decided, hey, we want to be the people who match products to people. 
because we believe shopping is fun. When you see something you didn't even know you wanted at a no-brainer price point, you just have to have it. And so our goal is to use technology that we've created and are creating to put the right product in front of you at the right time at the right price point every single day. And so it's kind of the holy grail of e-commerce and, um, and we're trying to solve that problem. That's very cool. Um, to, what about competition? When you launched, was it a pretty competitive space like it is today? No. In fact, when we launched, there were probably a handful of competitors in the kind of daily deal space. Most of those competitors have, have disappeared um, over time. And so we're one of the, the, we're one of the initial companies that started doing this type of business model that's still around today. And so you had uh, one sale.com or one sale a day at the time, and they've, they've pivoted to an affiliate model. Um, we had Daily Steals that uh, went out of business and is trying to make a comeback. Um, uh, no More Rack, which became Choxy, just closed its doors. So a lot of these people that, uh, that were competitors of ours are now um, in different businesses or, or completely um, out of business. Is that because it's a tough market to make profit? It is. Uh, margins are very slim. So you have to make sure you're making smart choices on what you sell and how you sell it. Uh, also, a lot of these people raised tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, they'd go out and spend 250 grand on a Facebook logout page for a couple of days. And that's great. You, your traffic goes through the roof and your Alexa ranking looks very sharp. But at some point when that money dries up, your, uh, your company is done because you don't know how to acquire customers at a rate that, uh, that makes sense or that is profitable. And so, uh, for us, we've, we've grown very, very systematically and slower because we are bootstrapped and we have, uh, always testing new ways of trying to acquire customers that are profitable for the company. Talking about <clears throat> growth then, Jeremy, how did you grow initially? So you, you had this um, marketing partner um, who, you know, you said sent to you, I think Joe Van Dyke, they sent to you their kind of their, their crew, um, their audience, and they started purchasing from you. But then was that a lot of traffic enough to keep you going for the first year or did you have to then start doing other, other bits of marketing? Yeah, so, yeah, Joe Van Dyke was, the, was our initial CTO of the company. It was Board Game Geek that was the partner that generated the initial traffic, right? And so I've, I really like finding partners to, to, that have a unique uh, audience that's similar to ours for driving traffic to our business. Um, I think it's very cost-effective and the the audience is so similar that that it makes sense, right? So it made sense for Board Game Geek to send traffic to a board game daily deal website when we first started. And so, um, what happens then? Well, after two or three years, we kind of saturated that market, and we needed other ways of growing. So we started looking at um, uh, becoming masters at email marketing and masters at affiliate marketing. Um, now we're jumping headfirst into retargeting and social and SEM, but we're always very, very systematic in the way we approach it, finding the right product, the right ad, testing it and trying to scale it so that it's profitable for our business because we don't have the luxury of just throwing millions of dollars for customer acquisition where, where it is not profitable and those users don't come back. 
So talk to me about your email strategy because I know you've mentioned before on previous chats that um, that's was at fifty percent of your sales. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's about fifty percent. And we we use a company called Exact Target. <coughs> Exact Target was acquired by Salesforce, so it's part of the Salesforce marketing uh, platform now. And it's a very robust and a very expensive system for email marketing. It allows us to to set up lots of great um, uh, triggers and sends uh, because we throw all of our data about our customers into this system. We can actually um, target people based on specific things that they do um, or not do. And so we've been really A-B testing everything. So every send that ever comes out of our system is A-B tested with different bits of information. Every single day we're learning how to target and become a little bit better at putting that right product in front of the right customer. Um, but if you are at a medium to a large level in your business and <clears throat> you want a, a really scalable, great platform um, that, that you can program to be very good at targeting your customers in very specific ways, Exact Target is a great platform for that. What did you use in your early days? We used MailChimp, um, which is awesome. MailChimp is, and they're getting better and better, by the way. Um, I still get their emails and, and they're trying to do some of the things that, uh, that Exact Target does now. And so great company. They're cheap. Um, it's very, um, they don't offer a ton of support. And so you have to know what you're doing. And so if you, if you get in trouble or want to do certain things, they're pretty hands off. So you, you may need to hire an expert to help you out in certain situations, but uh, very good platform for people just starting out for sure. Even even small blogs and mom and pop stores. What what were some of the key things that you did with that email strategy that helped you, I guess, grow your email listing and really um, leverage it to, so that you're converting that pretty high? Um, so what are in the early days? Um, man, it's it's a little bit hard to remember because uh, it's been like four or five years since we've used it. We're um, kind of really got into email marketing. Uh, but we tried to focus on different demographics. And so if we knew customers were really into pet products, then we would try to make sure that that product rose to the top of the email list and in our subject line when we knew that customer had an affinity for that. Does that make sense? Um, and so if we knew people really loved jewelry and we had a great jewelry deal then that's what they should be seeing first. It shouldn't be um, an iPad or um, yoga pants. And so that's just some of the basics, right? You can A-B test email um, subject lines, for example, or even content. And so the way you set it up is you say, okay, we're going to send out 10% of our emails. We're going to split those into two different um, sends. One is going to have this subject line and the other is going to have that subject line. And then... MailChimp will say, okay, <coughs> test B1 over A. And so it automatically sends test B to the rest of the list, for example. I mean, that's just a basic A-B test that, that, that MailChimp will allow you to do, which, um, you know, before MailChimp, it would be very hard to do that unless you had some sort of um, system that you programmed yourself in order to, to kind of create that, right? Now, now MailChimp has that and hundreds of other types of tests that you could that you can set up to start testing uh, your your mailing list. And what what do you think was a key to really growing an email list? What, how big is your list today? Would, are you able to share that? Yeah, it's a couple million. Um, but really, I, I think the the key is to 
when you initially onboard a customer, you need to, to have a series of onboarding emails to let them know what to expect from your emails and what your purpose is and who you are and why, why they should even care. And so I think we've done a good job when people sign up to give them that great experience. Hey, we're, 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 we're still a small company. We have your best interest at heart. We want to help you save money. We've got the best deals and we're going to try to put, put the most amazing deals in front of you every day. And so by the end of the, the seven days when they're experiencing these, this messaging and they see the types of product we're putting in front of them, hopefully they become a customer that sticks around for a while and starts to enjoy the Tanga experience. That's great. So, so that, you know, they're not feeling like you're bombarding them. They actually know this is what to expect. Maybe some of, maybe they're even looking forward to it. And in case there's a product that they, they're looking for, they kind of sit around and check it out for when, when you send it. And the other thing that might be fun for your audience, if they're, if they are, selling a product or a service is once a customer, a new customer comes into our system and we do a check to make, to see when that product is delivered, then we send an automatic email from my account that's personalized from me directly to them. That's a very personal email. Um, and so basically it's telling them, Hey, thank you for giving us a shot. We really want your feedback. How did the process go? How did you like it? Do you have any issues? You know, a lot of people will respond, hey, thanks for, thanks for contacting me. It's, it's great that, that I can get in touch with you. Some people will email me with customer service issues and we deal with those immediately. But it's just kind of a great personal touch again, where personalization is a core strategy of ours to, to create that personal relationship with our customer. And you're kind of putting a, a face to, to the whole corporate model and saying, we're, we're real people, we're here for you. And then that breaks the ice a bit. Mm. Um, Jeremy, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about um, breakthrough and failure. Did you, did you ever feel there was a moment where your business really took off um, or has it just been a steady increase? Yeah, when we figured out affiliate marketing and brought on good people into the organization, like hired a few C-level people like our operations and, and our marketing guy, uh, Matt Mullen, who's worked with me at every company I've ever started, I, I hired him out of the board game company, Simply Fun. Um, and so once that happened, I think that things really started to grow. I mean, we were growing at a 20% rate early on. Um, but when we, when we brought on the RCMO, when we started doing some really great uh, things with affiliate marketing and email marketing, that's when things really, really started to take off for the company. Right. And what, what was your strategy with the affiliate marketing that really worked well? It's all relationship. You know, these, these affiliates and deal sites and mommy bloggers, they have hundreds of companies, if not thousands, bombarding them with offers and deals. They could, they could post any deal they want. But we try to form personal relationships again with these people. Um, you know, we, we, we wine and dine them. We take them on vacation. Um, I've taken affiliates and vendors of mine down to Puerto Vallarta, Costa Rica, Europe, um, and, and travel with me and my family and my friends. Um, and we're trying to build those relationships. Um, and, and it helps, you know, we, it, we, we've got great products. We've got best of web prices. Um, but that's not enough sometimes to be able to get attention of the people that can help you grow. And so, you know, if we have the personal relationship and the business relationship works great, then it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. 
do you, do you run contests for your affiliates in order for them to qualify for like a holiday trip? Um, we haven't. Um, it's a great idea, though. Uh, actually, you know what? We have once. We did. Um, I think we did some sort of cruise early on, like uh, five or six years ago. Um, the affiliates were able to to earn a cruise, and it, it 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 went okay. I mean, I I think sometimes that gimmicky stuff is a little bit tough, uh, especially for professional affiliates. Um, you know, there's there's a hundred people in their company and you know, who's going to go on the vacation and um, you know, they just want to make money. Uh, so I, I would rather be able to offer maybe a bonus commission on something hot or um, uh, you know, have that personal relationship with, with them directly where I can say, Hey, you put this up, we're going to sell 10,000 of these things. So let's, let's get it done. I'll get you, let's do another dollar off as a coupon and let's go forward and, and, and kind of work it that way because I think they're more they're more interested in making money in sales than uh, than going on a trip. And it's interesting you mentioned once you brought on you know new, new team members at that C level executive level, um, things change for you. Um, that's a theme that I that I keep hearing. Um, but I guess you can't do it too early because of funding. So so it's one of those that that's a little bit touch and go. But would you? Would you have brought on a, a team earlier if you if you were to do things again? I think so. <clears throat> Probably um, a year or two earlier, I would have started bringing in a higher level team. Um, absolutely, yeah. Because really, that's and then when we hired our CFO, you you kind of get a whole another level of okay. Now we've got a um, you know our cash flow's improved and we're able to pay better and we're we have a better Dun and Bradstreet score than Groupon and and so I think all of these steps uh, help you build your business to the next level. We've got an amazing CTO, one of the most amazing guys I've ever worked with. So you know, all in all, we've got a great team. What about failure? Um, has there been a product or launch that you've done maybe recently that? you really thought was going to go well and it didn't? Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs or people looking to, be, to get into entrepreneurship are afraid of failing and that holds them back. Obviously, it hasn't really held you back because you went straight in 23 years ago. But is there something that you can tell us that has really, that you think, failed or in that range? Sure. Oh, we fail every day. In fact, our, one of our core values go fast at acceptance, certainty, and failure. Um, we, we're not the type of company that plans a project out for six to 12 months and works on it and then has a big release every single day we're we're launching new features and trying new things and and we fail all the time um uh you know whether it's product that we're trying to to source and we think it's gonna just kill it and we had some some branded bed sheets that had like five thousand reviews on amazon four and a half starts we had 20% cheaper cost and, and we just could not move any and we were dumbfounded. And sometimes we'll put something up like uh, 30 pairs of men's socks and we'll sell $180,000 worth in 48 hours. So you just never, you, you never know what's just going to take off sometimes. And, and that's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult to project. It's a difficult to project volume for our vendors. And so again, that personal relationship, if you have that great relationship with your vendors where you're like, hey, sometimes we're going to put stuff up and it's, we're going to kill it. And sometimes it's not. That's the nature of our business. But, you know, let's work together and, and build this business and volume together and the average will be great. And so that's kind of the, the strategy that we take. Right. Just on that, I'm interested to just know a little bit about the mechanics of how your business actually works. So 
if you put up, I don't know, 30 pairs of socks and you end up selling 180 grand, um, and I've heard you talk about drop shipping previously, how, how does that all match together in a, in a quick sort of scenario? Well, in that particular scenario, we have a, a vendor who has the inventory and they drop ship on our behalf. So we, we sell the product, he downloads files, he ships and uploads tracking. So it's very, very similar to other marketplaces out there like an Amazon, eBay or Sears or Walmart. <laughs> um, but we do buy a product. So we, we do opportunity buys. We do some importation of product from China. Um, we do consignment deals. So somebody that doesn't have dropship capabilities will hold product for 72 hours and then we'll ship it to our DC and get it, get it shipped out to our customers after, or after the order takes place. So we work in a variety of different ways with the majority of it being drop shipped. Um, there's some aggregator sites as well, isn't there? Where they're just pulling all these daily deals together. Um, is that your competition or are those collaborators, do you think? Those are collaborators for sure, because they they want to get paid on the affiliate click through link. <laughs> so they're aggregating deals, and our goal is to get our deals front and center <laughs> on those partner sites. How do you rank the following, if if at all? Faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. Family and friendships would be close one and two, um, and then finances is probably. Probably three and fun four and faith five probably. What about um, understanding? You know the the daily routine that you have. What what did a day in your life look like when you when you just launched uh, Tango, and uh, what does that look like today? So when I just launched Tango, I would go into a, a big warehouse and I would try to figure out what product I was going to sell for the day and uh, and upload that product to the system, write the content, make sure the images look good verified with with the vendor if it was drop shipped or if we had it in inventory i'd recount it um i basically did everything and then when the sales were happening i would um you know look at the sales and then i'd have to make sure i had enough people to ship the product the next day and then start planning the whole week's worth of product and so i i kind of was in charge of everything now i get in about eight o'clock i um am more of a kind of a a cheerleader more than anything where I've got a, a great group of people where we're meeting together and making decisions. We, at the beginning of the the day, we go over the <laughs> hot products of the day with our team, determine how we're going to market them. Um, if there's any products that organically took off in our marketplace that we need to take an extra look at. Um, <clears throat> and then we, um, you know, we each each team kind of has their goals and directions of of what is what is going on. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. I uh, do things like this with your podcast, um, and I belong to a group uh, called EO, which is Entrepreneur Organization. It's a group where they have chapters around the world. Phoenix is one of their largest chapters, and so um, I'm heavily involved with that organization. Uh, and their learning chair where we bring in amazing speakers from all over the world to come and speak to our group of 160 CEOs and their guests. And that's been fun. Um, but really just uh, being involved in, in high level decisions and strategy and, uh, and, and helping people where they need help and trying to make things work. So that's, it's, it's instead of doing all the nitty gritty detailed work and getting my hands dirty and all that, I'm, I'm getting my hands dirty and all the, the top level strategy and discussions and, and pivots and things that we need to change and all that kind of stuff.
um, what about mentors? You've talked about being part of EO, so I'm sure that's providing mentorship. But do you invest in mentors other than that? Um, if yes, why do you think that's important and who are some of those for you? Yeah, EO is, has kind of turned into my my mentor uh, group. I, I have had uh, business coaches and life coaches in the past, and I do think it's very, very valuable. And uh, with EO, I've got a group of 160 mentors and 10 who are really intimately involved in my business and family and, and personal life because we meet on a monthly basis for five hours and talk about it all. And uh, so, yes, you need people to talk to. You need mentors. You need board members. You need life coaches, life, family, personal, business. It's all intertwined. Um, I have a good friend who started a podcast called Secular Buddhism, and his podcasts are amazing for any business owner or even parent or um, spouse where you are trying to deal with relationships and how to think and communicate and the mindfulness surrounding that. So I'd recommend that podcast for anybody who's interested in, in using mindfulness to help you uh, in your daily decision-making in your daily life. What about books? Do you read a lot of books? Um, what would you say are the two great reads for entrepreneurs based on your history, your experience? Yeah, I, I do read books all the time. Lately, I've been really... Um, interested in books about uh about wine <laughs> which it doesn't have anything to do with business but um i do read business books every year um i really like founders at work with a great book um uh, it's very inspiring to read all of the stories about different uh, uh, entrepreneurs and their their stories and how they got where they are i love malcolm gladwell's books i think they're just i remember reading tipping point i can't even remember how many years ago 10 15 years ago and was just completely blown away by by the way he thought about different things. And and a lot of times I think uh, books are really good just to get you to think about things in a different way, right? Which is why I think I love the Secular Buddhism podcast, because it really gets you to look at every single thing about your life, your relationships, your business in, in, a, in a different manner. Because... You just don't know what you don't know. And you, do, you everything that's in front of you now isn't... At, it, a lot of times, it's not even reality, right? Um, and so, you know, I used to be heavily involved in a fundamental religion. And for years and years and years, I was just so ingrained in it, I couldn't even see outside of it until I started researching some things for myself. And 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 so, when you step out of it, you realize you have you have so much more empathy for people who who are seeing things in a certain way now that, that they just know they're right. Um, but you're thinking about it from a different perspective with a whole different set of lens on with, with tens of thousands of study of information that they don't know about and will never know about because they have no interest because they've been told not to look at certain things. And so it's, it's really interesting just to kind of start studying how people work and communicate and see things. And it just gives you a whole new level of empathy and understanding from every single person that you talk to. Cool. So, um, Jeremy, what is the best way for people to connect with you if they want to reach out and check out what you guys are doing? Yeah, um, so my email is jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at tanga, that's T-A-N-G-A dot com. So you can email me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, on social media, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, and, uh, and obviously go to tenga.com and, and check out our website. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, I do send out 
uh, every month or so kind of an update of what we're doing, uh, things that are kind of interesting and uh, updates about the business. So if, if you do connect with me, then, uh, then you'll be getting those as well. Well, Jeremy, before I ask my last question, I really want to just thank you for um, coming on to this show, uh, for helping us out with your wisdom and, you know, the experiences that you, you've had throughout your business history uh, and also just the work you're doing out there in the marketplace, you know, partnering up with all the different businesses, uh, you taking the risk in those early days and now translating into millions of people, um, you know, getting a better deal, getting a better lifestyle through through whatever products that they're buying through your website. So, so appreciate that. Um, now for the last question, Jeremy, um, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy? And if you do, what kind of legacy would you love to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. I do. I, I think about it more than ever, actually, um, just from my change in perspective of, of uh, the religion that I was in and, and things like that. I I really feel like I want to leave a mark. I want to be able to, to do something that changes the world. And I I have ideas and thoughts about how I'm going to do that. Um, and I'm starting to put together plans, but I want to be able to leave the world a better place and to be remembered. Um, you know, the problem is, is, is history is not very kind to 99.999% of the world population. You, you die and, and most of the time you're forgotten. Um, and I realize that that's going to be the case with me as well. Um, even my grandfather, my, my children met them, met him, a couple of times, but really have no memories of him. And within another generation, he'll be gone other than some written stories that, that we recorded when he was still alive, which may never get looked at. Um, and, and even people like a Steve Jobs, 200 years from now, will people be talking about him or will he be a footnote in some history book, right? So I, I, I realize that, that that same thing's going to happen to me, um, but I would love to be able to change the world for the better now while I'm alive to be able to affect and provide, um, you know, relief from pain and suffering for as many people as I can. And so we'll see, we'll see. I, I, I've got some ideas and, and 10 years from now, some of those ideas will, um, hopefully be made into reality. Well, I can hear from your answer that that's quite a, some, a topical thing on your mind because, uh, the way you've articulated it and not a lot of people go to that level. And, um, and that's very interesting. And, you know, um, thanks for sharing that. We can only impact, um, you know, the people who are around us and those that we can reach. And then, um, you know, the rest is up to that, to, to just live that ripple effect to carry its, its own weight. So, so that's amazing. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you for hanging out with me and Jeremy today. And my prayer for you is that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to live out your dreams. Um, head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Type in Jeremy and all the show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today. And uh, to connect with jeremytanger.com, find him on LinkedIn and you can drop him an email at jeremy at tanger.com. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your amazing story with us. We are absolutely grateful. You're a true business general. Thank you very much. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. 
connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.